This is The Running Game, a rugby podcast that covers the sport from the ground up. I'm Tim Gilbert. I'm joined by my co-host, Matt Dunning. Matty, how are you, my friend? I'm great, Timmy. How are you, mate? Great week in rugby and uh, looking forward to... More rugby to watch at all levels. As I say, any better, I'd be twins. There'd be two of me, Matthew. Uh, But uh, no one wants that because it's a lot of kilos. We've got a huge show on the way. Former Australian rugby coach Michael Checker joins us. Also, Colin Baggett. He's the president of the Dremoyne Dirty Reds Rugby Club. We are talking grassroots. So, Matt, let's just talk about the game in the schools because, uh, look, it is so strong in so many schools, isn't it? Yeah, look, rugby has a deep history in school rugby and, you know, it's it's still there, um, albeit it, it's struggling a bit, you know. Um, the GPS, the CS schools, more AFL are sort of getting in there and other sports are there and the Waratah Shield, the, the state school comp isn't what it was and, you know... It's a bit of a sign of the times, but I don't think it's an unfixable problem. I think it's it's about getting and you know and getting that engagement with our with with with, with the grassroots and and to do that we need to make rugby uh, the sport that people want to play and everyone wants to do and 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 see the great thing I used to love about rugby at, at school and club level was it was more than just the rugby you know like some of my mates played rugby I don't think they really love playing rugby much they love the camaraderie they love the tours they love the, the chat at training they love hanging around after training having a beer they loved you know your, your whole after the game your, your social activity was around rugby and I think I know the game's gone professional we've lost a bit of that but I think the more we can engage mm. um, our communities and schools in in rugby, but more what rugby can offer. You know, we love the game. It's a great game. But also what it offers, you know, like the aftermatch functions, the the tours, the where our, where our community and our guys get to engage with each other and, and really enjoy all of rugby. You know, rugby is more than just 40 minutes or 80 minutes or in some levels 60 minutes. It's, it's more than that. Our game is so much more. Uh, and I think with professionalism, sometimes we, we, we miss the boat and we, we think it's, it's all about the field, the training, it's all about high performance. But I think to get engagement and people coming to games, you know, people love coming to games. They love watching rugby, but it's a whole it's a whole thing. It's mm. it's not just watching eighty minutes of rugby when you watch the Waratahs or Wallabies. It's that game day experience. It's you know, it's it's getting close with players, you know, it, it's going to trainings. It's that whole thing and I think yep. If we can start to improve that, I think that will help a long way with rugby. Yeah, and I, look, I do take my hat off to a lot of the school systems because they really do have strong infrastructure, which is a real powerful tool for the game itself. And over the course of the next few weeks on the running game, we're going to actually start to speak to some of the coaches at school level and some of those that do a lot of the work in and around that. All right, coming up next on the running game, former Wallaby coach Michael Checker on all things from the top all the way to grassroots. Real treat today on The Running Game. He leads no introduction. Michael Checker, how are you? I'm very well. How are you all going? Very well, Check. Mate, uh, it's, it's been a while since you've been out of the top job. Um, how's life and uh, are you as busy and how does it feel uh, on the other side of Australian rugby? Well, life is very good. You know, I think uh, it's been different and challenge. You know, I've set myself a few challenges since the post the World Cup. But, um, mate, I'll, I wouldn't consider myself to be on the other side of Australian rugby. I'm always a part of Australian rugby, just like you are. And, you know, that, I think that's a bit of a, 
a problem for a, like a lot of the people. They think you're either in it or you're not. Like I'm always considered that I'm in it. Maybe may an outsider on the odd occasion, but I'm always considered that I'm in it. And and um and because I love the game, you know, love love playing, love coaching, love all that stuff. So no, I'm still a fan, and um, I've still got obviously aspirations of um, you know I'm putting myself together to to, to do some few things that are gonna um, you know step me back towards where I want to finish up, but. Uh, Mate, it's 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 been good. It's been uh, life's good at the moment. Was there was there a little bit of look? I I, can, I know this. So I can only give my example of it, and I'd been there a long time at Channel Nine. When I left, it was uh, it was a bit of an identity. It was an interesting time. It was like uh, those times of transition in our lives, particularly when they're profiled lives, is hard to define. What was it like for you? Oh no, I think. Uh first thing was I came home from the cup and I just had a bit of a break. Um, tried not to think about too much, maybe for a month or, or two. And then I um, I really wanted to do some reflection on my own performance and uh, how, what could I do better? What did I do well? What were the things that I can improve on for the next version on, on whatever it is? And then how am I going to go about whether it's in business or footy or whatever it might be, because it's, that's that's the thing, you know. Without sounding corny, you've got to. Too many people, I think, just if something doesn't go right for them, oh, it's it's double. If it goes right for you, too many celebrations, and if it doesn't go right for you, too much crying. Just be toughen up. Get. It's not like you're doing. We didn't win that tournament, like. Get back on your bike and get going again. What can I do better? How can I be better? And, mate, I've really been pleased with myself that I've done a few things that are totally outside the box that I would never expected uh, myself to do. And uh, and that's, uh, you know, put me in a good space looking at the game a little differently, now, especially having had some exposure to the other code. And just, um, yeah, I've, I'm feeling really energised and, and good. Yeah, check those reflection points. Do, do, you, do you want to share what you sort of – what you, what you sort of came to in that reflection and, and where do you think uh, yourself and the team could have improved or what you're working on? Uh, Matt, I think that as we looked at the, the performance of the team, like just in that 2019, I think considering what we came off the back of that year and the disruption that had occurred uh, – and trying to get everyone back together and united again after that, you know, what happened that year. I actually think we we really got ourselves in in not a bad position. We, we The team was pretty united at the back when we went to the World Cup off the back of a difficult period. And, and mate, it came down to very fine margins. That Wales game, you know, you, you we score, I think, three tries to two. And, um, and, uh, and we just go down there, start that game a little better and everything could be totally different. We could be having a totally different conversation. You've got to – and for us, because of our position in where we – like our player depth and all those those challenges that we're having here in Australia with rugby, we need everything to be going right. We need everyone aligned, um, everyone going in the same direction, which wasn't happening obviously in, in um, nine to 18 and 19. And, and I – 
maybe just let that get to me a little bit too much instead of just not, not a lot, but enough to disrupt you. You know, when you get the, mm-hmm. the noise in your head, other noise, and it takes you off task instead of just staying totally focused on task. And, and I suppose that goes back to, and I've said it before, so it's not like it's a, it's new in, in 18 when they brought in, you know, the, the person on top of me plus selectors, that's where I should have pushed back, you know, and I said, no, yeah. not compromise. And then if they fired me off the back of that, okay, such is life, you know, you stand by values, but compromise never gets anywhere. But I was so, after 15 where we got so close, I was so uh, felt I could, you know, orchestrate it somehow Um even despite that lack of alignment, but it just wasn't able to do it. And sometimes you just got to put your hand up, so I wasn't able to do it. You, you've got a you've got a great record as a coach. It's it's there for all to see, both here and overseas. Uh, would you take that Waratahs job if if all the planets were aligned? But I think now, oh, like I said it on the on the telly the other day, I don't think now's the right time. I, I really think that. Like I love my time at the Tars, and it was a, it was a weird time for me because I. Matt played there a lot more. Obviously, I, I didn't play there at all. Maybe a couple of games. You know, I always had a very love hate there. My era of Randwick player often went to the Brumbies when it all started of um, of Super Rugby, and I never really felt like I got a chance to play for New South Wales. I wouldn't say I had a love relationship with them when I come back. You know, but I really learned to in love what that represented and that battle of the the state against the other states, and then. Um, and, you know, because they were so maligned, I think often that, that team, it helps when you have, you've got a history in that and you can use those scars going forward. So I really love that. But now I think, um, I think it needs to be, like I said, I think the Wallaby coaches would be better for them to have that clean air and not having me in the coaching spot in one of those teams. And um, because I'm still, you know, I only just finished and, um, I also think that I, I actually think that a, a a guy like who's there now, say like Chris Witts, Chris Whitaker, I I think that the time and the uh, that he spent, you know, in that role, I know that there's other coaches there, and there'll be other coaches that are putting up the time he spent at New South Wales in the past, often not succeeding right, as a player, like missing out or getting to a final or well, I think that can help him be, you know, or lead a team of coaches or be part of a team of coaches that will use those experiences to say, okay, that's going to stop now. We're going to turn We're going to turn it around. You know? And I, I, I think those guys serve to have a crack at it at some stage. They're, they're, they're that younger crew of coaches here right now, I think considering where New South Wales is, it's, it's a good opportunity for them. Yeah, Jack, I really like what you said about the World Cup. It is such fine lines. You look at the World Cup in 91, you look at, you know, 2007, we lost the quarters. They just they come down to those moments. So I really appreciate those comments and really see what you're saying there. And I guess the other question for me is you, you, since you've done that, you've done a few different coaching roles. You've had the, the rugby league experience and obviously the Pumas experience um, where you, you guys did extremely well uh, last year during COVID, which no one sort of thought you could do. And you mentioned earlier you, you took a lot from the new experiences. What are you sort of gained from the rugby league and I guess the Pumas experience? Uh, well, the number one thing, Matt, first of all, is since I started coaching, which was 1999, that's the first time I've never not been the boss. So um, yeah. I never did an assistance job. So I've always been the head coach 
And that was the first time I was able to go in there with a different persona. I had a, a different role to play, um, whether it was at Roosters or whether it was in Argentina, totally different role um, and in a support role. And, um, and then I could be a different type of person in that space sometimes. And it showed me a few different techniques, a few different things that I could do. Uh, also, obviously, the time with the Roosters um, that I've spent there it's taught me some oh, – I've just seen some different technical things that, you know, how maybe we've brought – um, just at the league, some of the league techniques, but because I understand, I know the game of union well as well, how to maybe mould some of those things so that um, so that they fit into the game properly um, as opposed to just trying to pick up a league technique and drop it into rugby. So modifying a few of those things, especially on the defensive side, which we had a bit of fun with, with the Argentinians. They, they really enjoyed that. And so it was, it was different, you know, and I, I really appreciated those different, the different environment and also different working relationship with the head coaches of both teams um, and being able to add my, uh, I don't know, experience from a different angle as opposed to have to apply it straight to the playing situation. I always love it when I hear kids yelling in the background because it just makes me feel more normal because last day before school went back yesterday, I don't know what had gone into two of my kids, but it is harder than any job. Just finally, you and I have a, a synergy where we're very proud Australians, but very proud Australians of Lebanese heritage. And I know that's a big part of the reason why you've taken on this job with the Cedars. Uh, it's, it's rugby league, not rugby union. But tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, look, it, it sort of, just happened by a bit of chance meetings and um, obviously because I'd spent the time in the Roosters as well, that opened the door to that as well. I think Brad Fittler did an amazing job with the team last uh, World Cup and I've seen, I've been out now and seen a heap of kids who are playing either SG ball, though, those are listening, that's probably under 19s, flag under 21s, um, even in some of the junior grades uh, and playing New South Wales Cup, Sydney Shield in all the tournaments. And it's, there is so many Lebanese kids playing out there. And I'm a little bit, I go, well, the, why is there only four players in NRL play, playing regularly? Alex Twile, Adam Dewey, Mitchell Moses, Josh Mansell, that, the, I, I want to help over the next four years. I wouldn't coach a team this, but over the next four years so that by the time we get to the next World Cup, there'll be maybe eight or ten Lebanese kids playing NRL because maybe they don't just have the presentation skills or they, don't, they can't get in front of their coach to make their point or their parents are saying, mate, stop it with this profession, this idea of footy, go and get a job, you know. And I think um, the other part of it is obviously on the World Cup stage, the performance stage, Lebanon's a country that – doesn't often get the chance like we do all the time to celebrate their sporting teams on the world stage. And even though people in Lebanon, it might be a minority of people who know about um, rugby league or the big part of the Lebanese diaspora that's living in the Americas, whether, you know, North America or South America somewhere, they'll, they'll have the opportunity to even watch their team wearing the cedar playing in a World Cup and playing, you know, and competing as well because we made a quarterfinal last year. And I think that's a – especially for the people in Lebanon where it's a tough time, really tough time right now, it gives them 80 minutes where they can just dream about something else. They may not even understand the game, but they see their team there and they get a chance to cheer for them. Yeah, check obviously um – 
you're pretty qualified to answer uh, about Australian Rugby Union, not just the top job, but you've been involved. What I loved about you is being involved in the game at all levels. And obviously, you know, a lot of people are saying it's a bit of a crisis with rugby in Australia. And I personally don't think it's the game as such because it's doing so well around the world. And, you know, and it has done well in Australia. When you won the Super Rugby final, I was at that final in 2014, and you had 65,000 people there at Homebush. So it's not as if rugby can't be successful in Australia. Do you, do you see any holes or any obvious things we need to do to bring rugby back to where, maybe not back to where it was, but back to the forefront and improve the, the game so we have the numbers and, and the success? Yeah, I think just um, engaging the the – the fans engaging the players at a junior level, engaging the parents, the families, engaging our community because not only like our schools, our clubs, and really, uh, really like bigging them up, like giving them, making them part of the family, like we're all part of going to something, not towards of, of the game of rugby. I think in Australia and let them be a part of it because at the moment, because of that, we're not getting the crowds to the games or we're not, you know, getting the, uh, as many players playing um, in that way. And I think it's it's hard too because the governing body is trying to deal with the top end issues because of the financials, et cetera, in, in difficult times. And this answer may not be the most um, pleasant financially in the short term, but in the long term, reconnecting with uh, the grassroots of the game. And not I don't just talking about club rugby. I'm talking about junior rugby, people making them love the game again that, and about – because they love the game but love being a part of the rugby game here in Australia. So we're all part of, of one thing, you know, and everyone wants to come watch the game. Everyone wants to be at the Waratahs game or be at a, at a, at a Reds game or because of – who we are, not about how we're doing. And, and I think that's that's where that sort of role modelling from the top comes in that says we are a, we're genuinely a game for our people and uh, for our community and, and, and selling that dream to people so they get on board. I, I really think that's the gap, you know. I, we've got such a strong schools network, a well-organised um, Still lots of kids playing junior rugby and, and all those people that go with it and I don't feel like we ever harness it, maybe because we just don't have the resources at this point and it's a difficult situation for, for the mm. governing body. But you want the governing body to just look after the game and everything else to look after itself. Yeah, it's achievable. It absolutely is. You know, uh, We call ourselves the running game. It's a wonderful game. It's the game they play in heaven, that's been used before. And I have little doubt that in the right hands, it will get back to its position again. Michael Checker, it's always a delight to have a chat. Thank you. Thanks, lads. Coming up on The Running Game, we have the president of the Dremoyne Dirty Reds, Colin Baggett. Well, it was just a few weeks ago I had the great opportunity to host a wonderful rugby lunch with a really good, strong, historic community club, the Dremoyne Dirty Reds, and it's a real treat to say that the president of the Dirty Reds is joining us now. Colin Baggett, how are you? Very good. Thank you very much for having me, Tim. Yeah, g'day, Colin. Thanks for being on the show. Um, 
Obviously, uh, a lot of people don't know, but you've had numerous roles at Dremoyne over the years. A player, a club captain, committee member, coach, president. You've done it all. I'd love to hear a bit about your Dremoyne rugby story and how, how you sort of got there and what brought you to the club and why you love it so much. Mate, I um, I was very fortunate enough to come out here in 98. I came out here as an engineer to work on the um, the Olympics. And um, I got actually went down to, I was living at Randwick, went down to Randwick trained down there for 98 and 99 was playing down in lower grades and um i couldn't get a ticket to go and watch the 99 Bledisloe cup as um the majority of the first second third grade players had come back from other places and took all the tickets so a friend of mine which we call frying pan jimmy he was playing actually living over in balmain and playing with Ramoyne. And he managed to secure me a ticket to go to the 99 final. I ended up meeting with about 30 of the Dremoyne rugby guys that night for the very first time and ended back at the, the old rugby club on, um, on Victoria Road um, until the early hours in the morning and thought, <laughs> you know what? Um, yeah, training three nights a week down at Randwick was uh, against training two nights a week and having a bit of fun. It kind of changed my perspective on rugby and its social side and as of 2000, I joined Dremoyne Rugby Club and haven't looked back, to be honest. So many great initiatives start in a similar manner. Colin, uh, we just had former Wallaby coach Michael Checker on the running game, and he articulated himself really well when he spoke about um, how important it is to get back to the love of the game, to get people back wanting to be a part of it, wanting to be a part of it at every level. Um, your words? 100% agree. Over the years, I've actually helped coaching down at the South Coogee Red Devils as well. And um, I've, I've bumped in and, and seen Chica down there watching his young fella play. He played in the same underage level as my boy did as well. And it's fantastic to see that level of, well, obviously coaching and playing career, but watching all forms of the game. And it's, it's fantastic. The more involvement we have, the better these kids are growing, going to grow up, wanting to play rugby, wanting to enjoy rugby, whether it's at subbies level, shoot shield or international level. But having him involved in the game and being part of it to me and to us at Tremoyne is, is that's the most important. Yeah, Colin, obviously a couple of years ago, subbies rugby changed. Um, a lot of people think for the better and you're a big part of that is. How was your involvement in really bringing subbies back to amateur status and uh, how did that go? How did that go for you? To be honest, it um, it was a massive speed bump for our club because we were well known for drafting in players that probably should have been playing at a lot higher level and and for their remuneration at the time when it was allowed. Um, I thought it was a fantastic initiative by subbies. I thought if a player is good enough, they should move up the grades, move up to a better level and play at that higher standard. Um, it came down to a couple of the old heads in our club and we clashed and I just said, listen, we want to develop a code that people want to play for our club and not be paid by the club. And it was about creating a good social atmosphere, getting good coaches down there and making it a just back to basics, good rugby club. Didn't matter if you played first grade calls or first grade, everybody was in it together. Um, it took a bit of time, but I, basically said I love the club I want to stay involved but if you're going to start doing any third party payments outside of it I'm gone I'm out so a kind of couple of guys who were heavily involved in that basically said listen you take it forward let's see how it goes so and here we are today 
How is Dremoyne rugby doing? How is the situation uh, from the youngest age all through to the top? In our opinion, it's doing really well. I mean, we're in a tight little pocket within that inner west. There's quite a few rugby clubs in and around the area, um, all competing for all different types of levels of players from juniors right through to seniors. Um, but we're doing we're doing well. And I think if we continue to create a good social environment and aspect, a good community atmosphere about it, getting everybody involved and providing good coaches and skill levels, people will want to come and play, whether it's at Dremoyne, Balmain, West Harbour, you know, wherever. It's it's about creating that good club atmosphere where people want to go and spend their evenings and their afternoons watching rugby. Are you finding you're getting that engagement? Um, you know, when I first started playing rugby, obviously it was it was amateur when I was a kid and it went professional, but the early days of professionalism, playing at Eastwood, you know, you'd be back at the club till midnight and the place would be packed. Yet, you know, I went back there and, you know, playing sort of the longer I played at Eastwood when I went back in 2011 and played and, you know, the only people left back there were guys who retired back in the club. Players didn't sort of engage. Is you think dropping back down to the amateur state, you've seen that sort of engagement and, and, and people are more engaged in the club? We're, we're seeing it. It's definitely improved. When when we moved from 14 and then 15, I found that it was very bleak. It was very bare. But we're trying to engage with our sponsors and engage with the players as to creating that atmosphere. And last Saturday was a fantastic advertisement for that. We played against Forest. It was round one. It was our ladies' day. We had 145 ladies attend, marquee, down on the oval. But we... We had the speeches upstairs in the middle grandstand. We had approximately 40 of the Forest players stay behind. We provided food and we had a That's bar awesome. open upstairs with music. And and they loved it. And they they just said, mate, this is fantastic. This is this is what it's about. You know, we, we had a couple of beers after, did a boat race. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to engage the players, the clubs, the volunteers and everybody just to stay behind, talking about appreciation, have some food, have a couple of drinks. And enjoy it. Most importantly, did you win the boat race? I don't care about the game. Did you win the boat race? No, we lost the bloody boat race, didn't we? <laughs> oh, that's fine. We won the game, but we lost the boat race. I think oh, we got, no. we got the logs, actually. Well, Colin, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, look, I saw at that lunch uh, such a great uh, air and spirit of generosity, not only spirit of generosity, but people got their wallets out and spent money because they knew where it was going. And that's the kind of grassroots, that's the kind of cornerstone that will help and continue to grow the game in the right direction. Thanks for coming on the show. Much appreciated. Thank you very much, guys. That's it for The Running Game this week. We'll be with you every week with more rugby chat, great interviews. Follow us on your favourite podcast app so you don't miss it. A big thank you today goes to Michael Checker and to Colin Baggett. Thank you to our sponsors, Spartan Sports, and, of course, our wonderful producer, Dan McHugh. See you next week, Matty Dunning. Thanks, Timmy. We're looking forward to it. Great show.